For those of you who listened to the podcast a few weeks ago, you will remember me saying that I was going to put an offer on my Month to Manifest program. Month to Manifest is the easiest manifestation course on the market right now. My intention when creating this course was allow it to be easy, simple, time efficient, like I'm not about things that take me a lot of time or I just won't do them. So this requires at the most five minutes of your time a day to be able to really hone your intentions on a daily basis. And not only that, one of the things we have done is to create a community of like-minded people where we meet once a month on a live and we set our intentions for the month ahead. It is so powerful and you'll get to meet those like-minded people who share in your joy and in your love of manifestations and we all lift each other up. It is so amazing. I love it and I would love you to join. One of the things that I have always wanted to do as well is to make this affordable and not only is it affordable every day but I am also giving you a discount on that right now. All you have to do is DM me the word manifest on Instagram and I will send you the unique discount code. Come and join us. Welcome back to the Unbreakable Mindset podcast with me, G. Dawned. I hope you are all well and had a gorgeous week. We have had amazing sunshine here in the UK, which has just been an absolute joy. But then on the flip side of it, it's one of those things that when you get sun in the UK, if you want to do something indoors, you almost feel like, no, I should be outside. I should be enjoying that sun. And it's like that, that fear of missing out on the sun. (laughs) And then we'll get sick of it. And then when the rain comes, which it did yesterday, we're all like, oh, thank God it rained. But like, you wouldn't do that on holiday. You'd be like, so sad if it actually rained when you were on holiday because your expectation is is that it is that it's really sunny every every day that you're on holiday so we're a weird little bunch in the UK aren't we anyway what a weird old week I had I was back to back with clients all week which was lush but I had horrific toothache and when I went to the spa with my friend uh the Rudden Park one that I told you about Honest to God, I was up till about half two, three o'clock in the morning just with this crazy, crazy toothache. Like I was taking paracetamol and ibuprofen every two hours, which like, and I don't mean like as in like there was a gap. It was like I had ibuprofen and paracetamol at nine o'clock and I couldn't cope with the pain. So I just double dosed again at 11 o'clock. And then again at one o'clock, I was like chewing paracetamol and rubbing it on my gums because it was just so horrific. I've never had pain like, and I honestly think that was worse than childbirth. That was just, oh God, if anyone's listening and they've got toothache, my heart goes out here because that was horrific. So I made an emergency appointment the next day and managed to get in for a tooth extraction on the Wednesday, which can I say, I was, I mean, nobody looks forward to the dentist. But I had a tooth extraction when I was early 20s and I was very naive, I would say. (laughs) I went on my own and they'd said, oh, you probably need like either a root canal filling or we can take it out. And they were very casual about it. We can just take it out. I was 22. Luckily, it's at the back. You can't see. 
But I was so naive. I honestly thought that tooth would grow back if it, if it got taken out. And I was just like, take it out. It's fine. Just take it out. And it because it was one of the back ones and it's really embedded in, like, them ones are chunky ones. I remember being in so much pain and feeling like I'd been attacked at the end of that because he had his knee on my chest and was trying to yank it out. It was awful. So this tooth, I've known it's needed to come out for about six months and I put it off because I was just saying, I'm not ready. Like, I'll tell you when I'm ready. So I had to do a lot of, like, mental preparation for this. And a lot of breathing exercises when I went in and I let the dentist know that I wasn't in the right headspace for it, like I'm not good. And when I'd booked it in previously, I had booked in for the dentist that I feel the most comfortable with, like I'd specified the dentist that I wanted. But because I'd made this emergency appointment where I was with a dentist that I didn't know, anyway, he struggled to get it out and then had a call on the dentist that I'd originally wanted, so... Feel like I manifested that a little bit, and it was fine. Do you know what? It was absolutely fine. These guys are amazing. They know what they're doing. It wasn't like that horrific experience twenty years ago. So, and the pain, like the the, the pain of getting the tooth out and afterwards, was way less than than what it was when it was there. So we are out, and I feel much better now. And the the podcast episode that you're going to hear, I recorded it the day before I got the tooth out so I was I was working through the pain <laughs> on the recorded episode and what else oh the other thing that happened this week was this was my daughter's last week at school which is just nuts so this feels really nice going into this week not having to go are you revising what are you revising what exams have you got tomorrow are you on your phone get off your phone <laughs> what are you revising are you revising how much time are you spending on revision so I can act the both of both of us can actually just breathe now and just um going to college in September. So congratulations to any other parent listening who has got another school, another child through school rather. Because that feels like a huge achievement in itself. <laughs> just to get through that that secondary school stage. And I don't have to worry about it for another five years until the little one starts secondary school. So yeah, I feel like a bit of parenting's done. Pat myself on the back for that. So enough about me. I'm going to hand over to the podcast that I recorded last week with an amazing guest. I have podcaster, comedian, Ellie Gibson from The Scummy Mummies. Enjoy. So Ellie, you are, I'm going to tell you what you are, by the way. You oh, are. Yeah, that. I love an award winning. <laughs> <laughs> you are an award winning journalist, presenter, podcaster. Although that doesn't have it on your management page, doesn't have that you're a podcaster in that. Doesn't title. it? Yeah, right, that's it. They're title. fired. They're fired. And stand up comedian, and you were born and raised in South East London, and you live with your husband Pete and two boys. How old are the boys now? Uh, one's eight, and one is uh twelve in a week. Yeah. All so. right. So you're heading into the nice teenage. Yes, that's pleasant. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> Tell me, how would you describe yourself? Because you do loads. Like even looking into more about what you do, I didn't realize how much you do in terms of there isn't just Ellie the podcaster. How I know you in terms of so Ellie's podcast. Sorry for anyone listening. Is the Scummy's Mummy the Scummy Mummy podcast? 
Yeah. Say that right. Why did I? Why did I struggle with that? Scummy mummies. I don't know. Maybe oh, it's because you're so unscummy, Jude, that you have an inherent. <laughs> you can't even say the word because you're so nice in your white t-shirt. Look, there's no brown stains the, on there. I bet there's a makeup mark on it. I tell you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what, how would you describe yourself now? Because your career is very different in certain areas, isn't it? Yeah, so I was a video games journalist for a long time and then um, for over a decade. And then I met Helen. I had I had um, babies and I met Helen and I started doing stand-up. And then Helen and I formed this comedy double act. And then we started doing the podcast. And then that was 10 years ago. Um, yeah. We do a live show all over the country. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a comedian. That's what I spend most of my time doing. Um, is most my income comes from doing our comedy show but I also um yeah we do the scummy podcast I also do a podcast called sort your shit out um which is about sort of mental well-being and balance the first series is about alcohol and we're just uh, planning the second series now so we do that I go on the radio sometimes still write about games um, and I stream on twitch once twice a week so I am a multimedia node Jude I do a lot of things <laughs> wow so you so my presumption was you started in comedy but you didn't no I started in in games yeah I started out writing the manuals for video games and then I became a journalist and that was what I did for a long time basically until I had kids yeah so typical week then what does a typical week look like for Ellie um well um it, I would say there's no structure there is structure so a typical week uh on Mondays I, I like to, I do a bar fitness class, which I like very much. And um, but I had a very I just telling this story, I had a very embarrassing time this week, um, because I was doing it yesterday. And you know, it's all like Swan Lake arms and it's all very beautiful. And then in the middle the lady was like, Oh, go and get the um the mats, we'll do some floor work. And as I reached up to get my mat, another girl in the class said to me, She said, Um, has someone been drawing on your arm? And I'd forgotten that I'm my son had asked if he could draw um, a tattoo on my arm when I was I'd had some wine with lunch uh, on Sunday and I'd gone yeah fine um, and like all 12 year old boys he drew a, a penis so I'd gone nice. to this lovely elegant ballet class with a penis drawn on my bicep so that was so so now I say that's what I do on a Monday perhaps I can never go back Jude now that's too embarrassing um but yes uh but Monday I do like I go to the gym and usually that's the day when I edit um out because I edit all our episodes of Scummy Mummy so I usually that's my sort of work and admin day um and then Tuesday Wednesday is usually recording podcasts and then um Helen and I um if it's term time we do a show in the evening so usually we we work Wednesdays Thursdays maybe Fridays occasionally Saturdays um but yeah we'll do shows we try not to work weekends because we like to have the weekends for family oh, time nice so we actually try not to do too many Saturday nights or whatever or even Fridays because often if we have to travel we have to come back on Saturday morning so so yeah that's sort of what it is but um that that can vary wildly if it's the summer if it's the school holidays um then I have to do more childcare and, and less work basically and less shows and so that's one of the things I like about my life now is I sort of you know I don't really have a boss I have a partner but I have a partner who's in the same situation as me so she understands the pressures of kids and work and it's nice that we can manage our own time like that. So how much TV work do you do when does that get scheduled in? Um, not a lot at the moment. I just um, I did a TV show a few years ago called Daro Brin's Go Eight Bit, but that was a while back. Um, occasionally, I get asked to go and be a guest on things, um, uh, Radio Four and stuff like that. So I go, you know, I just sort of just schedule it around around the shows 
and and that's how that works but for the most part it sounds like you've got a really good schedule a good routine going on in terms of how you've managed that I I think so I think I feel I feel very lucky because I know a lot of people don't have that but I can you know of course there's things I have to do in appointments and meetings and stuff but I can sort of please myself and I'm 45 now and I've got better at going at at sort of setting boundaries just for myself not other people necessarily but going no on on Monday actually it's really good to try and keep that time clear to edit the podcast so Mm -hmm. it doesn't get to you know the Tuesday it's supposed to go out and I'm like oh I haven't done it and I haven't got time because I did that other thing so I've tried to block out time for that stuff and I found that that's you know but having said all that I still get really overwhelmed because the thing of when you don't have a boss is of course you you're only accountable to yourself and you've got no one else telling you when you have to do stuff and when you have to get stuff done by necessarily so it's I do feel a lot of the time like there's this list that never ends and I'm trying to get better at accepting that uh, <laughs> accepting that that's how that is it's funny when you said you work on the, the podcast on a Monday so so I've I structure my week so I don't have any clients on a Monday and I just work on the business on a Monday, whatever that looks like. Yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you what, the last few months, then bank holidays, that threw a curveball. I was like, cheers yeah. my tail all through the week because that yeah. Monday got taken away from us like four times or something in the last two months. Yeah, yeah, it it's, it's a nightmare. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, when you, yeah. When you, you feel you, you've got, when you've got that structure and system and then suddenly it goes skew if that's when yeah. it can be problematic, can't it? So within that week then, what what's the stuff that lights you up? What's the thing that you look forward to the most? Um, thing I look forward to the most? I mean, I do, I like various bits of it. I like, um, I love being on tour with Helen. And because it's busy, to be honest, it's like having a little mini break with your best mate. And we always have a roadie. So either my dad or our friend Steve or Helen's brother, John. Um, and I really like all of those people as well. So it's really nice to have a night or two a week where we go and we don't, you know, we don't, we often just stay in a premier inn or whatever. It's not like we're going to Malaga, but <laughs> we go and we do our show. We go for a curry afterwards, usually get to stay in a hotel which means you get to have a lie-in or again you get to get up and have time to yourself without having to do the school run so do quite a lot of work in hotels um and so that that's really jolly I really like that but um, I really look forward to the weekends I really look forward to family time and even if that's just you know sitting on the sofa I just like being at home (laughs) so is there anything in your week or still now in your career if we if we make it that you know it's not a typical week sometimes is there anything that you mentally have to gear yourself up for I mean yeah to be totally honest so we we tour a lot right I think we're doing 50 shows this year or something and I love doing the show and it's great but I'd be lying if I said there weren't days where I'm like oh it's like Wednesday afternoon and I've got all this other work to do or I've got something going on with the family or that the kids need sorting out and you know it's raining and we've got to go and get in the van and drive for three or four hours um to this room full of people who are usually drunk and I've got to put on a very smelly cat suit and especially if it's in the winter it's cold and dark and I'd be lying of course I have days where I've gone oh I don't really feel like doing that um but without exception um once you do get out there and you get on the stage you have a brilliant time because the audience lifts you up and and you you feel their energy and you're like well you know sometimes we have to have a conversation with ourselves or with each other all these people have paid to be here and they want a good night they're here to have a good time and so you've got you've got to 
you know sometimes you have to dig deep but you've got to bring your energy and and put it out there because it's not fair otherwise and always you come off stage feeling brilliant you know I've gone on stage with colds and flus and knee problems and you know general malaise and or problems at home and you always come off stage it's like going to the gym you you don't always want to do it but you always feel better after <laughs> so because that got us thinking to be fair so tomorrow I'm meant to be booked in to do a live podcast to a group of um uh, call center managers and things like that and luckily I'm doing it with a with a business partner I say luckily I'm not doing it now because <laughs> I have horrific toothache I'm I'm piled up on drugs at the minute and it's got to get no 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 it's fine um it's fine at the minute because I'm on drugs um so tomorrow it's getting taken out so I had to book that in and it was the earliest appointment I could get and I had to rang my business partner and I was like I'm not doing that live thing I can't I need I hadn't slept for two days like I was literally chewing paracetamol and rubbing it on my gum because I couldn't get rid of the pain and I was like I need you to do it on your own and she was like fine I'll put my big girl pants on I'll do this so I was able to get out of there that's not the same for you that would be really weird if Helen turned up on her own I'm sorry yeah he's got too thick Yeah, it's not uh, it's not really a viable option for us. Um, we, you know, but but having said that, you know, it's like our show is is two hours long. Do you know what I mean? My mum, as she likes to remind me, was a teacher, and again, she couldn't just not go in because she didn't feel like it, and yeah. she would have to go and stand up there for six, eight hours in front, in you know, in a school in South East London. Um, that that's real work, isn't it? So. Um, I and she sometimes remind myself of that if ever I'm having too much of a moan. <laughs> Mam did it. Yeah. So tell me then, Ellie as a child, did she have funny bones? Like what was, was there anything in, because was she dad a comedian? Your dad's really funny, by the way, if anyone watches, um, watches <laughs> for Instagram. Um, yeah, he was in, so he was a comedian. He was in the first wave of alternative comedians. So in the 80s, this sort of movement really, I suppose, started where comedians were like, well, you know, there were people like Jim Davidson and Bernard Manning telling all these awful racist, sexist mother-in-law jokes. Um, and these people were like, well, no, actually, we, we're left-wing and we want to tell jokes about Thatcher and about the state of society and, and also just, just, just funny human life in a way that doesn't involve punching down on a on another group of people so um so he was he was in that so I grew up with that kind of in the house um mm-hmm. but I didn't realize for a long time that or I didn't realize that I was I, I sort of started to think I was funny quite young but it felt um very arrogant to say that out loud do you know what I mean and it's only really in recent years as an adult that I've gone no it's it's all right to be funny it's all right to say you're funny and actually that's your superpower because my mum's very funny as well so I think growing up I just thought well everybody's funny you know there's Um, nothing special about that you know what what are you showing off about everyone's like that and it's only as I've got older I've gone oh not everybody has this in the same way that I don't have talents other people had I just did a podcast now with this amazing woman Mandy Hickson who's a fighter pilot I've always wanted to be a fighter pilot I can't do it I'm absolutely shit at maths but you know it's I, I've, I've sort of realized now oh we just all have different things and that's what yeah. makes the world a, an interesting place yeah and the irony is it's growing up we tend to focus on where we we feel the most pain or fear so if we feel like god I, I'm no good at making friends that's the thing that's in the forefront of your mind versus an empowering belief of like well actually I'm quite funny you wouldn't know that was an empowering belief you would just think everyone else 
has that because we focus right. on the thing that we're not good at that sets us apart from other people we don't our limiting beliefs kind of thing so so with you growing up then so you so there's a lot of laughter in the house everyone's funny were you like if I'd have known you at school would I have been thinking oh Ellie was hilarious I I think so I think I think um uh I was I was very badly bullied at school like almost all comedians in the world um (laughs) and I used humor as a way to sort of overcome that and recover from that um uh and I think so but yeah I was definitely there was definitely a bit of class clown thing going on there for sure so we so I mean we laugh about the bullying but tell me a little bit more about that because that that's pretty horrific and that that can stay with us sometimes how have you managed to laugh about it and not let that stay with you um, I think, well, a lot of it was I have a very supportive home life and luckily quite a privileged one in that I haven't had, um, I didn't have problems really going on at home um, and I had very supportive family who helped me through all of that stuff. So at so home... So you were able to talk to them about it? Yeah, so I had people I could talk to about it who would listen and be supportive and home was sort of a safe space. Um, again, I know this has been said a lot, but I do wonder how I would fare these days because I know kids come home and then they've got it on their phone still, haven't they? Or their computer and all that stuff. Whereas, of course, I'm very old. So when I got home, I was home kind of thing. Mm. So um, I had that. Um, and I had a good, thanks to my my folks, I had a good sense of self and, and kind of that it would it would, it would would be all right, really. Um, so, yeah. So you just had a knowing that this is going to be all right. Like, I'll get through this. Not, not. It, it, like it, it was very bad, and it was not physical bullying either. It was not, um, you know, putting me in the bin or you know, ripping my tie off. It was. I was at a girls' school, and you know, uh, girls and indeed boys. But um, I think, especially in that sort of situation, it's it is a lot about groups and cliques and excluding people and all of that stuff. And um, so that was all sort of going on, and that kind of emotional bullying that mental stuff was very hard to deal with um but yeah just sort of so there were times definitely where I thought this is just awful and I can't you know people would say to me it will get better and I used to think well is it will it how how do you know but of course it it did mm-hmm. <laughs> so how is it so th- this is what always shocks me right so so if you go through that as a as a child and it is it's rejection it's feeling less than it's it's kind of being fearful and then going into the comedy world, which is full of rejection <laughs> and like fear, you know, being fearful because you don't know when you stand up on that stage whether people are going to laugh. Although I'm guessing you've got some formula now where you go, oh no, that'll be a good one or that might fall flat. But at the start, you don't. So how did you deal with that? Um, yeah, you're right. You you don't. And I think I was helped by coming to comedy relatively late. So I started comedy after I had my first baby and I did a comedy course and um, the thing was I really liked um, I know a lot of new mums struggle so I almost feel guilty saying this but I, I really liked being a new mum I actually found the toddler bit the really tricky bit but the new mum bit the new baby bit I really liked I had a really nice husband and um, uh, my parents were again really supportive I had a lot of help and I was really happy and I thought well I'm going to go and try this thing and if it doesn't work out it sort of doesn't matter because I've got this solid base I've got this foundation and I sort of know who I am I didn't have that thing again I know a lot of people did I've lost my identity or who am I as a mum I was just like I just I like quite like this so um so I thought well if I go and try this and it 
goes wrong, it just doesn't matter. Whereas I think if I had started in my 20s, when I was a more vulnerable person and hadn't really worked out who I was, uh, I think I would have taken the the hits, um, the hits worse. And of course, there were hits. All comedians have had bad gigs. So yes, of course, there were. But um, so what made you go for it? So, so you said you were, you were trying it out while you were on maternity leave. Did you have maternity leave being a journalist? I'm guessing you don't, do you? Uh, yeah, because I had a full time, I worked full time for a website. So I started, oh. I did the course in March 2013. So he would have been about a year and a half old then. So but I was working part time and I just did this course on Monday night um, in this pub in Soho. And I really loved that. And then after that, I said, all oh, right, well, I, I really I really love this. I want to do this. So I started um, going to open mic gigs two, three, four nights a week. I, I on read your own this... at this point? On my own, yeah, because I, yeah. I read this um, thing about, I think Eddie Izzard said that you, you have to do 100 gigs as a stand-up, really, to know whether you're any good. So I thought, well, I'll do, I said to Pete, I'm going to do 100 gigs and I'm going to do it in a year. And he was like... <sighs> it wasn't he wasn't over the moon uh and to this day I've been told I'm not allowed to ever do that again which is fair but I did do it um and it was on that along the way that I met Helen and we started scummy mummies so yeah so you leave school you've got mm. a you you have an interest in gaming at this point I'm totally mm. trying to fill in the gaps quickly you fill in the gaps for me um, so I, did, I left school, I went to uni and I did an English degree because I didn't really know what else to do. And I ended up playing a lot of Tomb Raider because English degrees, to be honest, don't involve a lot of work. And then um, when I came out, I worked for a TV company for a year and then I was unemployed. And I just saw this advert for a copywriter as, as, at PlayStation. And I just thought, OK, and I applied for it and I got that. So that was my first job in games. Uh, and then I went travelling for a year and then I got a job on a magazine uh, writing about games and then I got a job on Eurogamer which is where I was for nearly 10 years which is this website um, and I loved that because it was a full-time job and I got to go all around the world looking at games and having a laugh really um, and then yeah had my babies started doing comedy so yeah so what was the push and pull to go from that which seems quite secure like there's a wage coming, there's no worry, you know, what hours you're doing to then going, oh, actually, I'd quite like to do this thing where there's no, like, guarantees. Like, yeah, where, yeah. Where does that come from? Well, there was there was an overlap, and the overlap was, you know, I started the comedy course and the gigging while I was still at Eurogamer, and I was working two days a week. So as you say, I had, like, an income. But the part, the shift from full-time to part-time, I'd found very difficult. I was doing a different kind of job. I was making video content and I wasn't very good at it. I didn't really like it. It wasn't very popular. <laughs> so that was the job, sadly, although I still love the people and the company, the job had ceased to be as sort of rewarding and I didn't feel like I was doing a good job for them. Mm-hmm. And then whereas the comedy, it wasn't taking off, but I felt I was at least learning something. I was on some sort of... the very bottom of some sort of ladder mm-hmm. um, and you know I really enjoyed doing the podcast with Helen and um, so and then I got pregnant again for a second time so I and I just remember thinking I just I, I it was really hard to say oh yeah I'm going to chuck away that solid income and um, and go and give this a go but I couldn't face doing doing it all again kind of thing doing the maternity leave and then the work out what my job is and what so um 
yeah I went to meet my friend for lunch in London I still remember and it, it was a beautiful blue day and I blue sky day and I just thought I'm gonna do it I'm just gonna I'm just gonna quit that job and do this and then see how that works out which again I'm, I'm very aware is a privilege a lot of people do not have and I'm very lucky that Pete was able to financially support us and that I was able to to do that um but I'm very grateful that I was yeah and what was the like what was the goal for that was it right well I want to do this this and this because it sounds like when you said that bit right well I said to Pete I'm going to do 100 gigs in a year like that sounds to me somebody who is like when she puts their mind to something that's it well I have to there's process I need to do it so I'm going to do that because that's what I'm told Eddie Izzard said 100 gigs I'll give that a whirl what was the what was the big end goal? Was it just, do you know what? I'd quite like that work-life balance of doing gigs or was it that like, I don't know, is money a factor? Like, is that a driving force or was it to have certain accolades? Like what was the big goal? Um, yeah, it was never money um, because again, I'm very privileged and I, I haven't had to worry too much about, you know, I've, I have done jobs that I've worked in, supermarkets on checkouts and in bakeries and all that stuff I've, I've always been able to make money one way or the other um and it, it and I was raised in a house where we never had a lot of money um but with the rule was we had enough money to put a roof over our head and maybe have a holiday you know to somewhere like France in a tent Do you know what I mean that was the sort of standard of living that we aspired to and um my parents always made money so my dad was an actor and a comedian but when he didn't have jobs he would be he would do motorbike courier work or he would do supply teaching and my mum she wrote children's books but again she also was a supply teacher and a teacher so I grew up with this idea of you know you have to you have to make money you have to have a job it doesn't really matter what it is and it's okay to pursue what you really love as long as you've got a roof over your head if you can facilitate that so so that was my sort of mentality really and that's how I feel about my own kids I don't give a toss if they're doctors or lawyers or whatever I'd like them to be I think wanting your kids to be happy is perhaps an impossible goal but I'd like them to not be worried about money but equally not be unhappy in their jobs so yeah yeah, but maybe that's not aspirational enough I don't know (laughs) no no I think it is like there's a difference between waking up every day and going oh god to waking up every day going oh god I get to do this today yeah yeah or uh, but I also I think there's a lot to be said for waking up and going okay I can I can face this today I can bear to do this today without being deeply unhappy and miserable which I think is a situation for a lot of people and I've certainly done many jobs like that um you know where you're like well okay this isn't exactly what I'd like to be doing with my life but it's not unbearable either and I've also Mm -hmm. done the unbearable jobs and so I'm very happy if I'm in the middle and luckily at the moment I'm doing stuff I like Amazing, amazing. So so the end goal was to do comedy stand-up. Was that the first stage? I, again, I've, I wasn't really the goal in terms of I've always, um, I've never, I've just sort of gone, oh, I like this, I'll do this. I'll do it. How amazing. Like, which is, is a lucky position to be able to be in. But I, like, I, I was at, when I was at uni, I was like, I do English literature because I like books and films and drama. And mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to come out of it. I certainly didn't think, and then I'll be a games journalist. Um. I've just pursued things that I'm interested in. So with the stand-up, there definitely were conversations like with the 100 gigs thing where Pete was like, 
well, what is the end goal of this? Because you can't, like most comedians, their day-to-day life is going around the country four or five nights a week, like driving to Manchester and then back, or, you know, being away for five days on tour, going to Edinburgh for a whole month. He's like, you can't do that. We've got a toddler and you're saying you want another child. What What's the end goal? And I was just like, I don't know, but I feel a compulsion to do this and now of course I know that all that stage time I did get was was building a sort of you know was was it was kind of my university again you know it was building a sort of armor and experience for when Helen and I became scummy mummies and started doing our tour because then when we went on stage together I kind of had all that experience of being on my own and for me anyway being on stage with another person is a lot easier than being on your own um so yeah so what? So from from being a child to now, we can see, we can see that the journey to it. What what's been, if anything, the biggest struggle that you've had from being a child to now? Yeah, um, like a mental struggle. What have you struggled with the most that you think, God, that really comes up again and that triggers me or it sabotages you? What's the thing that comes back? Um. I think, well, as a child, I I, my, I was six when my little brother was born and I remember finding that really difficult because I'd been the centre of attention for six years and my parents were told that they couldn't have any more kids. So it wasn't like I was geared up for one day you'll have a little brother or sister. So I found that a big shock and I was, you know, I struggled with that um, growing up, I think. And then, and today, um, you know, my brother has various uh, mental health and addiction problems and you know, we have a very difficult relationship and that's been the great sadness of my life, to be honest. That's been the hardest thing that I continue to deal with. It's very hard on my parents. That's very hard to watch. Um, so that's my sort of my sort of dark, struggly bit, if you like. But to be honest, I know a lot of people have deal with that plus a lot of other shit. So I've been quite lucky. Um, that was a big struggle and is, as I say, an ongoing struggle but apart from that, I've, I've had periods like everyone has where I've had no job or no money or both or, you know, I've fallen out of a friend here and there or I've, you know, wondered what I am doing with my life. Um, but I, I think that's just I think that's just life, isn't it? I think that's the human condition. Yeah, but but how do you cope with that rejection in the comedy world? Because there must be things that you have tried for and then you have been told, or, or yes. you individually, where you've been told, no, 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 we want someone else. Oh, both, both. Um, and Helen and I, if it's a reaction for Scummy Mummies, um, we, um, again, luckily, we, Helen and I are different in lots of ways, but we're also very similar in lots of ways. And we have we have pretty much the same values. So um, whenever we've been rejected, we, first of all, again, it's good if, you, if you're in a double act, because you've got another person there to go. You, you kind of, you, the, the burden is halved, because you're like, well, this isn't just about me. <laughs> It can't yeah. just be about me. It's also about, it's half of it's them being shit, you know. <laughs> so that's a relief. It's you, Helen. Yeah. But you, you're there, you've got someone who sympathise with you, who knows literally what you're going through. And that's mm-hmm. really valuable to have that person to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we have the same mentality in terms of we'll go, right, well, that's that. That's okay. We'll get up. What can we do to, um, you know, what, how can we use this energy instead of sitting around bitching and moaning, which don't get me wrong, we do a lot of bitching and moaning, but then we get to go and say it's unfair and blah, blah, blah. But then we sort of go, what's a new idea? What's a new angle? What's a new thing um, mm-hmm. that we can do together? And over the years, that's been things like we'll do a whole month at Edinburgh or we will walk to Everest Base Camp or we will, 
you know, start a new, just a new thing. Or, you know, when she had her, when she got divorced, she was like, I'm going to write a book. Brilliant. You know, so that's, that's, that we've been lucky with that, I think. So what, what would you say then on the opposite of that? So, you know, going from the opposite of rejection to like, what's been the biggest thing that you still look back on and go, wow, like, can't believe we got that or we've done that. And obviously the, the, there was the, um, the, the Everest thing, which I want to come on to, but prior to that, what do you think was the thing where you're like, yes. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of us. I'm very proud that we are two women running our own business according to our own terms and values and I never that was never an ambition of mine I never ever as a as a child or even a younger person wanted was like one day I'll run my own I just didn't we only formed the business for sort of tax reasons and then suddenly I was like oh I'm the director of a company how did that happen I didn't mean to do that but great you know um I'm really proud of of what we we've created I'm proud every time we get an email or a message which we do still get a lot of from women saying you know, you make me feel normal or, you know, you make me laugh because you're so awful or <laughs> that's really gratifying. I'm really proud of that. Um, and I'm just really proud of of the friendship and that it's still, if anything, stronger that we've been, we've spent all this time together, <laughs> done all this nutty stuff together and we're still, we're still going and we, we love each other very much. And I'm, you know, I am amazed not daily but regularly by the fact that we met and that that still I I do sometimes think where what on earth would I be doing now if we hadn't met that night at that gig and I don't know I'm sure something and probably should that would have been a great question for me to ask wouldn't it (laughs) (laughs) right right Ellie what would you do if you hadn't met Helen what a great (laughs) question Jude what a great question I've never thought about that before um yeah, I don't, I don't know. And, and you have to go, well, I don't know. But I remember we, we did last year, we did a hundred mile walk with my dad and Helen's brother, John. And um, uh, me and Helen were walking ahead a little bit through some field. And then dad caught up with us at the start and he looked all sort of misty eyed. And I went, you're right. And he said, I was just saying to John, how did these two find each other? How did they find each other? And I was like, yeah, all right, shut up. Get over the style. The pub's shutting. Uh, but... It is mad. She was literally born on the other side of the world. And I was, I'm from London and somehow, you know, because I don't know if, if you know the story, but we, why, why would you? But um, we met doing stand up and it was months after we became friends that we learned our sons were born nine days apart with the same wow. midwife. So the same midwife had delivered both of our children. Oh, and you just think, goodness. how did we, how did that? I don't know how, because I don't, I, I know it's, I respect your beliefs. I, I don't really believe in manifesting stuff like that in the universe okay. and all like that. I'm quite a realist. I'm quite practical. Yeah. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just telling you. No, 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 no. I get it. I get it. There's two parts to it. My head goes, come on, right. What, why, why could, why, what's the facts around it? I go to the facts first to be able to kind of compartmentalize it. Because I almost want to prove it's true. So I look for the facts that disprove it. I've just found this amazing podcast my friend recommended called Uncanny and it's okay. all about the spiritual world and um and people who've got these ghost stories. It's a it's a BBC one actually. Oh I know good. it's really good. And they have somebody who tells you the story of whether they've experienced a, a ghost story. I don't know why I got on this. Um and 
And what they're really good at is having somebody who totally believes in it and says why there's an explanation for it and somebody who disbelieves on what the explanation could be. It's fascinating. Ooh, anyway, that's so, good. So, yeah, it's really good. So, so you and Helen, sorry, so, so you met and there's the synchronicities. You've got the same midwife and, and you just get on. Yeah, we just, um, I, I mean, I wrote about this in her book, Get Divorced, Be Happy, which is out now, listener. Uh, <laughs> she gives me 50p every time I say that. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but I, I, and it was love at first sight, which is a funny thing, because I never experienced that with my husband. We were, we, the first time I saw him at university, I thought he was probably a drug dealer, uh, which he's not, I should say. Uh but um, and and we were friends for years and years before we got together and then eventually got married. So I didn't have with my the love of my life in terms of my partner. I didn't have that lightning bolt thing at all. Um, but whereas with Helen, she walked out on stage and was so funny. I just loved her. I just thought she was brilliant, and I just thought I want to be your friend. I just everything she said was hilarious. And then I met her after the gig. Uh, I went up to talk to her. And she was so funny and um, turned out she lived like 10 minutes, five minute drive from me, which again, and just another weird thing. But of all the places wow. she could have moved to in England, in London, yeah. she moved five minutes from where I grew up. Um, so maybe I maybe I need to get into this manifesting thing. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so- yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, <laughs> you know, the facts are pointing to the fact that you've manifested somebody to be on this journey with you. So yeah, I I just I just thought she was absolutely amazing. Obviously now I've got to know her better, so the shine's worn off a bit, you know. Really it's more of a business partnership than anything else, Jude, but we're in it now. Fuck it, it's very lucrative. It's making a bit of money, so we'll stick yeah, it's it. Fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we barely speak outside of the show. It's like Morecambe and Wise, you have separate dressing rooms. No, Although, to be fair, actually... I did hear her in the background before we started the podcast, and I was thinking, that's exactly what I want. As, <laughs> as I jump on a podcast with Ellie, I want Helen to have been in the house, <laughs> like yeah. you've lived together, like Aunt and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Live oh, next door to each other. Yeah, it's funny, actually. We do always, like, even just the other day, we did a gig in Colchester, and they were like, there's a dressing room, one for you here and one for you there. And we were like, no, 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 we Chazzies. have the same room. We have the same room. We like to be in the same space. But then we always we have separate hotel rooms now. When we started, we couldn't afford it. So we used to like sleep in the same double bed in the terrible bed and breakfast. Um, but now we like to have our own space, even if it's in a premiere inn. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So with the podcast, right? And and one of the things I absolutely love, and it's funny because I was telling my friend about this yesterday, because we like to we like to gossip, we like to talk about the stories and go oh, that person's amazing that person oh have you heard about that so I was telling about the Dalai Lama right mm. and he hadn't heard right google it people I'm not going to go into it and I'd heard Johan Hari who I love like I think he is fantastic the way he researches these topics and everything and he came on your podcast and what I loved more than anything is I saw a different side to him where everyone else interviews him and it's serious and it's like you know, yes, okay, you're going around the subject, it's fine. But when you guys interviewed him, I was like laughing along with you. Like, that's why I love your podcast. Because you, you get people on and although you prom- they're promoting something and it can be a really serious topic, it's fantastic how you can get into stuff. And that, I mean, that Dalai Lama, the story that he told before 
that story came out. Like, I was like, well, I'm not shocked. I heard what uh, Johan Horry said on your podcast <laughs> about him. Um, where was I going with that? Yes. So, so with the podcast, what was your intention with the podcast when you first started it? Because I know mine's completely changed since, I mean, has it? Yeah. Mine's teeny tiny percentage compared to yours, mm. but it's definitely changed in terms of why I started it to where it is now. Yeah. And how's yours changed over the end? What was the intention for the podcast? Um, well, the intention, I think, so if you listen to the first two or three episodes we did, I mean, <laughs> I'm not ashamed of them because... I'm going to go back over now then. That's, oh, them. God. Um, <laughs> I, I feel I feel like I, I shouldn't be ashamed of them because you that, that's that's they, they are what they are and that's where we were yeah. and we were working it out. It's and a I'm journey. glad we did them. And I'm, I've never, it's never, I've never thought about deleting them or erasing them because that's, that's part of our history. That's part of our truth, yeah. right? So, but it's quite hard for me to listen to them <laughs> because... <laughs> You can hear that we didn't know what it was or what we were doing. We were like, I think we sort of thought we were on Woman's Hour, but then you know, was it the news? Was it like we like we we had a section called Current Affairs, which is obviously ludicrous now. But you have to remember as well, podcast was quite a new medium then as well. Yeah. It wasn't like so. It is how long now. has it been going for you guys? Ten years, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when we started, there weren't really any other parenting podcasts that Fantastic. weren't American and weren't just kind of about what car seat to buy or how to burp your baby. There weren't people just sitting around moaning and laughing about parenting. And now there's loads of excellent ones, not just ours, obviously. But um, yeah. so it was it was quite so. So generally, the world wasn't really sure what podcasting was, let alone us. So we just sort of the first ones are a bit serious and a bit stilted and, stilted and a bit scripted. And Helen and I also at that time, we'd only known each other, I think, um, four months or something. So our friendship was still in its infancy and it's still that sort of nicey-nicey bit where you're just, oh, I like that, I like that, I like that, I like that. And were you still kind of new parents at the time as well then? Well, you must have been, yes, because it was 10 years ago, you were new parents. Yeah, so Charlie was um, my son. I I hadn't even had the second one and the first one would again have been about nearly two, just over two um, wow. Yeah, and Helen had two kids, but yeah, so we were still in in the in the what I call the trenches, as a lot of people call it, yeah, like yeah, the yeah, ship yeah. Um, yeah, ship it. And then as it sort of over the years, I think it's evolved into, I think it's grown with our friendship, and I think you can hear that. And I I like to think maybe this is wishful thinking that as a listener you can track the friendship and how it does transition from sort of mm. being just super nice to each other to sort of what is now which is we're not afraid to take the piss out of each other and yeah. openly mock each other which is what real friendships are right because it is yeah. a real friendship um so now to be honest with you I don't overthink it like we do have a little running order with rough questions but basically I just ask the guests kind of what I want to know <laughs> so mm. we just recorded as I say this episode with Mandy the spider pilot and I love Top Gun and I love all that and I always wanted to be a pilot so I was just asking her about that and you know how you get your call sign and how you wee when you're in the air just stupid shit I want to know but then she started talking about Iraq and I wanted to know what she thinks as someone who fought in Iraq what she yeah. thinks now that we know the ma- the weapons of mass destruction didn't exist how she feels about about that so um I just sort of ask what I like and hope that other people find it interesting that's <laughs> I think that's all you can do. Because when yeah. I was a journalist, even in games, I used to ask questions that were trying to get a get a gossipy headline out of someone, get them to say something controversial or get to the meat of it or get, get a secret, get an exclusive out of someone. And I don't think that's what our 
podcast is hopefully it's an interesting chat and if we if we inform or educate that's accidental we are just trying to entertain (laughs) primarily (laughs) so did you god this is going to be a shit question could you have imagined was it a statement could you have imagined how big it has become when you first started out absolutely not absolutely I, I had and the guests no. that you've had on as well. Yeah, like we've had amazing. some amazing guests, amazing, lovely guests, and 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 they've been brilliant. Some of our favourite episodes, though, are the ones where we just have our mates on. To be honest, mm. and and the feedback from we get from listeners is some of their favourite episodes are when it's just me and Helen talking, which we do occasionally, um, either because we've we've you know it's a special occasion or we've got a big life tragedy or achievement or sometimes because we haven't really got it together to book a guest or they've cancelled uh, <laughs> yeah, a um, but no when we started I, I absolutely had no idea that in 10 years time we would still be making the podcast let alone doing a comedy we weren't even a double act when we started the podcast you know it wasn't like this is a vehicle for the double act thing the double act came months after we started it so mm. um it's all but again that's been my whole life I've just sort of made things or started things and just sort of gone I don't know I'll do this and then we'll see where it goes and um it's gone in some really lovely directions so it's been awesome I love that because it feels like your growth is very organic like um I'm prodding you with different areas, kind of going, right, come on, what's your limiting beliefs? What's your mindset? What was your goals? And it's like, actually, I just thought I'd kind of like to do it. And that's well, lovely. Well, you've correctly identified, Judith, that there is no plan. <laughs> there is just this but is But on what the we're flip doing. side of it, if there's no plan and you've got no limiting beliefs about it, it grows organically without you sabotaging it because you're like, oh, well, we could do that. So like, which leads me on, oh, this was perfect this leads me on to um you performing at Everest like how does that come about that's not yeah well yeah why not is a phrase that we we use a lot and then over the years we have also introduced the phrase I'm not doing that again because we have done something so like we've got we've done that enough now or we've tried that once we didn't like it we're not doing that again um but Everest was definitely a a why not one because we we'd We'd run a marathon in 2021 because um, our friend Bryony said, do you want to do the marathon? And we said, why not? Oh, yes. So we did that. Um, and then I that sort of buggered my knees, basically, and I couldn't run anymore, but I can walk. Um, yeah. And uh, then we were like, well, let's, let's, I'd always, I'm, I've always been fascinated by Everest. Um, so I was like, I'd love to walk to Everest Base Camp. And Helen went, why not? And then she said, while we're there, we could break the world record, the Guinness World Record. And I went, why not? And then it sort of, Jesus. and then it all got out of control. <laughs> and it happened, and you and, and we did it. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. And you've got a Guinness World Record for it. We have the Guinness World Record for the uh, highest stand-up gimmick, stand-up comedy gig on land, which was at five thousand three hundred nine meters. So we did wow. our gig in minus fifteen degrees in the gold cat suits in front of a load of Sherpas almost all of whom didn't speak English, all of whom were very bemused. Um, it was it was a tough crowd. So it's a uh, comedy gig with no laughs. There was a few laughs. They were very um they were very warm, not literally obviously everyone was fucking freezing. But they they clapped the songs and they cheered the oh, cat suits and we felt nice. them with us. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a, a unique experience, but we're not doing it again. <laughs> what do you get for that? Do you get like a nice little disc, a nice little frame? Well, 
you get a certificate in a frame. We're actually going to the Guinness offices in a week um, for us to receive our certificates. So we're very excited. Because I have got another nuts. Guinness World Record. I've got another Guinness World Record for, um, uh, I played, because um, once we started doing that, I was like, hang on, what, uh, what else can we do? Uh, yeah. So I played, um, and it was all for Born Charity, this charity that I'm an ambassador of. Oh, for the premature, for premature babies. babies. Yeah. yeah. So um, I did a 24-hour stream on Twitch of playing this power wash game. And, um, yeah, raised a load of money and uh, got a certificate for that, more importantly. Never mind the premature babies and the money. The point is, Jude, I got a certificate in the frame. Two now. Two. Two. Double double world record That should be on your management website as well, shouldn't it, really? Yeah. God, they need to update that, don't they? Yeah. And do we go for the triple? My friend Madge texted me today to say, do you know there's a Guinness World Record for eating two kilograms of Greek yogurt in two minutes? Do you think you can do it? I was like, I don't think I can, Madge. That sounds awful. (laughs) <laughs> it's not even that like fun like what else could you eat that's a bit more fun that you could give it a whirl I like, reckon I get the most do... boring thing ever I really like smoked salmon I was thinking I can eat whole packets of that like they're crisps oh. but two kilos might put you off for life <laughs> you probably much. will probably will <laughs> right okay so what's coming up for scummy mummies you use, are you touring right now We're is there always available? on tour Always on tour. So if you go to scummymummies.com, you can see all our shows. But we're doing, I think, before the summer, we're doing like Tunbridge Wells and we're doing, oh gosh, uh, Taunton and Wells we're doing. And then loads more, actually. And then in the in the autumn, we've booked, like we're doing the whole Christmas tour. We're going to Brighton and Bath and all sorts of places. And we're even booking for 2024 now. So, nice. and the shoes, do, the shows do sell out. Not all of them, but some of them do sell out. Newcastle, <laughs> so you coming to Newcastle? We've just been to Newcastle a couple Fuck. of months ago. I think we might be going back Christmas next year, Christmas 24, actually. I think. Oh my God. Because that's where we're, we're booking that. But Newcastle's a it's brilliant. Nuts that you have to book that far in advance, isn't it? Yeah, well, the theatres have to book, you know, yeah. to book proper people in. But um, it's, yeah, it's great. But I love Newcastle because my mum is from Ashington. So, oh, honestly, just listening to your voice for the last hour has been delightful, Jude. It's very comforting. I feel very soothed. Oh, <laughs> bless. I know, I'll never lose the accent, will I? Do you know what I always remember when Cheryl Cole started to get big on, like, um, X Factor or whatever she was on, and my mum went, yeah, I would Jude. You sound like Cheryl Cole. <laughs> I was like, ma'am, ma'am. You've known me longer than you've known Cheryl Cole. Does she not sound like me? <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why do I sound like her? I've not changed. Once if she sounds like me. <laughs> anyway. Oh, bless you. Well, my Never dad, mind. of course, is a fake Geordie because my dad is from South East London, but he was, he was his granddad's from South Shield, so he used to go up there all the time as a oh kid. Oh, my God. And then he was in a kid's TV show called Jossie's Giants that was set in Newcastle where he played a Geordie football coach. So, you see, so again, the accent is, is echoes of the past. Is your dad good at doing accents? He is pretty good, yeah. Oh, Helen is absolutely terrible. I don't know if you've ever heard her try and do accents. She's the worst person I've ever met accents. I really enjoy it. <laughs> Make I do it. Mm-hmm. Right, we're going to wrap up now, sadly, and I have thoroughly enjoyed having you on the podcast and thank you so so much for taking the time out um to do it because I know you don't do many um solo ones or even guest podcasts so I absolutely appreciate it and thank you so so much and everyone go listen to this go there is so who was the best guest that you've had on 
Oh, I top can't. Five. That's like choosing top a favourite child. I don't know. I don't know. There's mm. 257 episodes. I can't. I can't. But I did really just enjoy the one we just did that's not out yet with Mandy Hickson. That was really good. Um, always love having our mates Sam Pamphlon and Stefan and Miserable Steve. And oh, just just, just so lots. many amazing people. All, it's all been. Oh, well, I'll awesome. suggest the Johan Hari for everyone. Oh, that is I a good one. I just love yeah. that. I love yeah. that. And the, the doctor that you had on recently who's got the parenting book out. No. She's got the anxiety stress. Doctor Zoe, Doctor Zoe, Dr. Williams. Zoe. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. We've got another one coming out with a woman called Marie Gentles, who's um, uh, does parenting, deals with really difficult um, with kids who have uh, challenging behaviours. That's what you say, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So she's really good. That's that's coming up. But um, I don't even get time yeah. to talk about your other podcast, which I know nothing oh, about, so and right. I'm so sorry. Right, quickly overview so of, of that other- podcast. The other podcast, um, it's me hosting, not with Helen, but with another co-host. And for series one, it was with a lady called Stephanie Chivers. Um, and I worked with her uh, about alcohol because I wanted to, mm-hmm. I started drinking too much in lockdown. And I, but I didn't want to go sober. I just wanted to reduce. Um, mm-hmm. But it was about how to manage that. Anyway, so we did a podcast called Sort Your Shit Out. And season one was all about that. And I really loved doing it. It's really, if moderation or sobriety is something you're interested in. I mean, I would say this because it's my podcast, but I would recommend it. Not for me. I just talk yeah. bullshit and go, I don't know, Stephanie, should I drink less wine? And then she goes, <laughs> yes, you should. And explains very calmly and brilliantly how to wow. do that. So, um, And yet we're just working on season two at the moment. So hopefully that'll be out in the autumn. Right, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Unbreakable Mindset podcast with me, your host, Jude Daunt. If you have enjoyed this episode, then please do share with others. And it would mean a huge deal to me if you would rate, review, follow and subscribe on your podcast app. This will allow the podcast to keep growing and going to new audiences. And if you want to know all the ways in which you can work with me directly, please visit judedaunt.com coaching.co.uk the links will be in the show notes